I know a lot of my friends shoot, you know, at a hundred or over a hundred. I'm like, why can't you do better than that? Yeah, uh, see, you, you don't, you just don't understand because you, you've got athletic ability. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, well, let's uh, let's get started today. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Uh, it is my pleasure to announce that I am sitting here with the tallest person to be on our show to this point, probably going to be the tallest one ever. I'm um, sitting here across virtually with Mr. James Donaldson. Thank you so much, James, for making this happen today. Um, as a lifelong Sonics fan, you're part of that that legacy for me, and I I appreciate yeah. you for that. All right, thank you. What Good I would, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm talking over you. Thank. You. What I'd like to, I have a question. I'm going to just jump right in and have a question. So you, you grew up in in the Sacramento area, right? You went to high school in, the, in Sacramento. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I have two questions. Number one is, when did you really? gain all your height because you're a very tall man. I mean, and, but I'm saying it's like, I grew six inches one summer, so I was awkward, but were you a consistent grower or did you really sprout up one time when you were a kid? No, I was just consistent throughout. I yeah. think I topped out right around uh, 20 years of age. So at WSU even a little bit. So okay. that was fine. Just nice, steady, slow growth and kept on going. So you didn't have that awkward phase where you trip over your shoes when you're walking uh, that no, was me. that was no. me. <laughs> okay. And I'm nowhere near. Yeah. Okay. So the other question I have is, so you Sacramento to Pullman. Mm -hmm. How was that? How was Pullman for you? Well, you know, I ended up loving it. I stayed there for four years, stayed there right. for four summers working uh, during the summertime, summer jobs and things. Uh, okay. Working out uh basketball camp so i was always busy during the summer i didn't go to school i didn't have to, didn't have to take classes thankfully but um i was uh you know good enough in in school to not have to load up my summer with summer school classes as well okay uh so i ended up loving pullman it was a great place to be um probably even more key was the fact that uh you know the coaches i had there uh george raveling mark edwards yeah. tom Puglisi, were really instrumental in making it a comfortable place to be and uh, a place that you, you know, you want to want to continue, uh, you know, maturing into the young man, the young woman that you become. I just, I've, I mean, Pullman is, and not quite full disclosure. I went to college in Ellensburg, which is, you know, in a way it's like Pullman it's college, yeah. ta college town. And um, I always, I had friends that went to Pullman. So we always, we always kind of, it's kind of an inside joke. We always tease, tease each other about Pullman. Come on. But actually Pullman's kind of a neat little, a neat little town. And yeah. when I would there, I was there visiting in the early eighties uh, when my friends went to school there, I always had a, it was, I probably should have gone to WSU. Let's just put it that way. I should have probably gone to WSU. So, well, I've always, I've always enjoyed the college town atmosphere. So whether it's Pullman or, you know, Ellensburg, uh, Corvallis, uh, Eugene, uh, you know, all these smaller towns that the university is really a big center part of it all. It's just really always been intriguing. You know, the vitality, the young, young, enthusiastic, optimistic minds that are around. 
yeah. folks who are around as well. And that it just really makes a really interesting dynamic. I could look this up, but I'll just ask you, what did you major in at WSU? I was a social psych major. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then you were drafted by my hometown favorite Seattle Supersonics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Back in 1979, as I finished up at WSU, I was drafted by the Sonics. Uh, the same year they won their one and only NBA championship, 1979. Um, and I, I joined the team the next year, 1980. Right. So I didn't play on the 79 team, but I played on the 80 team and all the great championship caliber players were still there. Uh, and played there my first three uh, professional years. So how was that as a rookie coming into a team that just won the NBA championship? Well, I think it's the best way for a rookie to break in, especially if, uh, you know, if they're not a top first round pick and top, you know, lottery pick or something with all the expectations. Uh, I came in in the third round Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, I, I just kind of, Paid my dues, uh, worked hard. First year or so, I set the bench like most rookies do. Second, third year, I started actually being in the starting lineup on most occasions. Mm-hmm. We put together our big uh, Winnebago lineup. Uh, That's right. I oh, forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Jack Sigma, Lonnie Shelton. So we oh, were geez. a really big physical team. Right. And I was able to be part of all that. So did any of those veterans, t- you know, pull you aside, take you under their wing? Did anybody? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I give so much credit to, you know, guys like uh, JJ, John Johnson, uh, who's now, you know, passed on. But uh, JJ was really instrumental. Uh, Freddie, downtown Freddie Brown was uh, those two guys, probably more than anybody else, took me under their wings and just worked me every single day. Uh, Before practice, after practice, we'd be doing all the big, rebounding drills and shot blocking drills and playing with your back to the basket drills, even though they weren't, they weren't centers, they, they were centers. forwards, but they, they knew how to play. They were old established veterans who really knew how to play okay. and saw in me a lot of potential and a lot of willingness to learn and play hard and, 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 you know, not make excuses, just get out there and do it. Yeah. Well, then you, then you, you ended up in Dallas and we're going to, we're not going to talk all about, but I'd like to touch on the Dallas piece, even though in my Washington state podcast, you ended up being an all-star for the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes. How was your time in Dallas? Well, that was probably the pinnacle of my career. Uh, I had, after the Sonics, I went down to the San Diego slash LA Clippers for three years. So mm-hmm. here I am half a dozen years in the league. I get traded to the Dallas Mavericks. So right there, I'm, I'm in my prime. I'm in my late 20s. Um, I finally figured out the game of basketball and professional basketball, especially. Okay. And Dallas was what uh, I, I was what I was what Dallas was looking for. Okay. You know, a, a big center who can clog the middle, who can play defense, who can rebound, who can who can do all the things they need to do. Score on occasion. We had a lot of scores. So I didn't need to score a whole bunch. But my role was to, you know, fill that middle. And I did that for seven years with the Dallas Mavericks. So, and making the all-star team on top of that was a a big testament to the hard work I put in and the willingness to sacrifice my game for the overall good of the team. And we had some very, very good teams in Dallas. 
Well, let me, let me ask you something you, you, and I'm going to not even repeat it correctly, but you said you learned the game of basketball in the NBA. What, what, give me an example of what, what was different about playing in the NBA than say playing at WSU? I mean, from well, someone who never played at all. You know? Yeah, of course the professional game is much more physical, uh, a lot faster. You're going up against guys, your size, your strength, your height, your skill level and better every single night. Uh, and that, that's a big adjustment, you know, and, in, in, in the college game, you know, there's usually three or four, you know, little patsy teams on your schedule that you just run through pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm seven, two, and I might be guarded by a guy six, six or six, seven. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen. And that doesn't happen in the pros. You've got seven footers every single night. Uh, and, and I played against some of the all time greats, you know, um, Abdul Jabbar and Artis Gilmore and Bob Lanier, Bill Walton, and all these great, great players. Um, when when the first uh, back in 1996, the NBA put out a a list of the all time 50 greatest all time players, and I looked at the, that list and I played against 37 of those top 50 all time players in my career. Yeah, so we that was the golden age of NBA basketball back in the 80s and 90s. It was. I agree. Yeah, those years were just fantastic. What player gave you the fits? Who was who was the hardest player for you to 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 compete against? Well, you know, uh I always say the most unstoppable, you well, no matter what you did was uh Abdul Jabbar. Okay. You know, with his famous uh, sky hook and his grace and his athletic ability, uh, his knowledge of the game. He was 10 years older than I was. So, of course, he knew a lot more than I did. Um, but, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the most physical guy I had to play against. I mean, those those guys were uh, guys like Moses Malone and, uh, you know, Akeem Olajuwon, uh, terrific athletic big guys who could do so many things. Right. Uh, they 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 weren't they weren't unstoppable like Kareem was. Kareem was. Um, but I had to work my tail off to hang in there and make sure that they didn't embarrass me out there. And that was my job, just to slow them down a little bit. And so Kareem might be averaging thirty, but if I can hold him down to twenty three or twenty four points, that was a win. You do you that, take that? That was a win. That was a big accomplishment. <laughs> right. Right. Well, then after your NBA career, you ended up playing ball in Europe, right? Yes. How was how was the competition in Europe versus the NBA? Because um, back then we didn't hear a lot. You hear more. I think you hear more about the European leagues now than you you did back then. So, yeah. how was that competition back in the yeah back in the day? There's slightly more now, but not much. It's still not. You know, we we've got so we've got such a collegiate uh, atmosphere. NCAA basketball, especially mm-hmm. Division One. We've got great teams that are almost household names around the country. Gonzaga, mm-hmm. uh, Duke, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina. These, these are teams you see every year in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say the competition in Europe, and I played six years in Europe, okay. uh, two years in Greece, two years in Spain, two years in Italy, um, is, is very comparable to uh, the Division One. Okay. Uh, basketball in college. Uh, you've got really good teams, really good coaches. Um, the NBA is more of an individual game. You get one or two great individuals on your team, you're going to have a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but college and the European leagues, they rely so much more on teamwork 
which I think is the, the, the essence of basketball. It's, it's a team game. The mm -hmm. fundamentals are so important. And that's what I was trained on and coached on with George Ravlin and those guys uh, to be a team player and to be able to do those kind of things. Okay. And after, after that, so help me out here. So after you finished up your professional career, did, did you move right back to Washington state? Well, I never left Washington state. I always okay. home here okay. in Seattle. So let me ask you this, since we're exploring Washington state podcast, what drew you to Washington? Why, why have you made it your home all these years? Well, coming up here from Sacramento to the Northwest in the first place uh, was my first introduction to the Northwest. Uh, and then being drafted by the Sonics just across the state uh, kept me up here for, you know, seven years uh, mm -hmm. of my early years. And Seattle became home. I, I really thought I'd be a lifetime Sonic uh, back in those days, like Freddie Brown was and those guys. Um, but it didn't work out that way. I learned out quickly that Professional sports is nothing but a business, and you're a commodity, and you're going to be traded and you know bought and sold. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but Seattle became home. I, I really loved my three years in Seattle. I, I decided I was going to be home. I okay. bought a home there, and no matter where I played from then on out, and I played for 20 years total professionally. That's uh, a long time. Where I played, I always came back to Seattle during the off seasons and kept it kept it as home. Okay. And now you're in Ellensburg. We'll just flat. Just, I don't shift very well sometimes if you can't yeah. tell. So, uh, and now you're in Ellensburg. What, what brought you to Ellensburg? Yeah, that's a quick fast forward, but okay. <laughs> well, we're going to go backwards too, but I just, just but, since we're literally talking to you while you're sitting in Ellensburg. Well, since I've only been here six months, um, okay. you know, uh, Ellensburg was attracted to me because I was looking to make a change after 41 years in Seattle. Uh, I had run for elected office yep. three times, uh, twice for the office of mayor, once for the office of city council, uh, came up short all three times. But, you know, we still had a great experience and a great opportunity and a great platform to get my message out about what I'd like to do as mayor. Mm -hmm. And when this last run didn't work out, uh, 2021, um, I, I, I just started looking around and looking around Seattle and seeing the very, you know, declining state that it's in nowadays. I don't know if you've been there recently, but I have. Seattle, I grew up back in the 80s and 90s. It's uh, the homelessness issue, the, the crime, the traffic, the congestion, the expense, the housing. I mean, just one thing after another. And I just said, well, you know, here I am nearing in on 40, uh, 65 years of age. So it's retirement next year. Okay. Uh, I said, you know, I, I really need a, uh, a a change of pace and a quality of life uh, consideration. Okay. And um, I was thinking about moving out of state, actually, back to my old haunts in maybe Dallas, down in Texas, or over in Florida, you know, places like Arizona. A lot of my sunbird friends run down to Arizona, snowbird friends. Yeah. Um, but I said, well... I, in talking with a lot of my friends and things that are coming up around the state, uh, there's a good friends of mine who are building a large development here in Ellensburg this year, starting this year. And they asked me if I would want to be part of it. 
Oh, and, okay. you know, I said, well, I don't know much about construction and all that, but uh, I can definitely be your marketing and PR and, you know, boots on the ground guy. So that was really my initial draw to Ellensburg was to be part of this uh, housing development. We're going to start up later in the spring, early summer, okay. uh, building approximately 1,200 homes or uh, housing units in residences. Uh, single family, multifamily, townhomes, those kind of things. Can I ask whereabouts? Uh, it'd be right off the I I ninety interchange. Really? Wow, it's good. Yeah, it's very large development then for Ellen. There's a big, big, big pasture out there that uh, the developer purchased, and uh, you know, two hundred and seventy five acres or so, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll build all of that in there, uh, okay. along with the shopping district, a small commercial shopping district. Some recreational. Uh, so my job really was um, to come on board and to be able to convey and relay all that information down to the historic uh, uh, downtown businesses in Ellensburg. A lot of ma and pa shops mm-hmm. might be a little threatened by that kind of thing uh, because right now people come off the freeway to Ellensburg for gas or a little snack, but you don't really come into town unless you really have a need to. Right. But if we put a commercial district out there, there's going to be less of a need to come in. So I want to make sure that we can, you know, in, give an incentive to these folks to come on into downtown Ellensburg, visit our historic businesses and historic downtown district. And that was the first draw. And I said, OK, I can do that, uh, even though we're not starting up for another few months. I came in six months early just to get my feet on the ground. Uh, I met all the elected officials, the city manager, the mayor, city council, county council people, and um, just got really involved. Uh, I'm a Rotarian. I'm a Kiwanis member, so I joined both of those groups here. Uh, so my network has already been established pretty pretty well here in Ellensburg. Uh, the okay. other thought the other thought was coming to work and work with the student athletes at CWU. Okay. Uh, You know, the work I do now really regards around uh, mental health awareness and suicide prevention, Mm -hmm. especially with our young generation of students and student athletes. And so to work with those athletes and to really be a positive, uh, inspiring, supportive role model for them, someone who's been there and done that, uh, I think would be absolutely wonderful. And and the third and last thing I read, I moved here. I don't know if you remember back in the day over at Washington State, uh, the old Cougar Cage Camp basketball camps every summer. I remember that. I mean, you know, rattling around in the back of my brain. Yes. I used to work those camps every summer, five, six weeks. We'd have six, seven hundred kids from all over the Northwest coming in. Right. Campus, staying in the dorms, uh, eating in the cafeterias, playing basketball all year, all all week long. And so I want to establish something like that in Ellensburg here, which is even more centrally located than WSU is. And uh, so I'm in conversations now with the athletic director, with the school to see if we can put something like that together this, this summer, even. That's exciting. Yeah. The, and central is lucky to have you. That's a, that's. So. Yeah. I, I, I feel lucky to be here. I've been so, so warmly accepted and embraced. Um, the neighbors are just fantastic. It's nice to, you know, not have to worry about locking locking everything up, you know, lock tight when you leave. Isn't it a change? 
It's a it's, big, big change. It's a change. You can even leave your car uh, with the keys inside, outside, and you know. It, it's, but they all look out for each other. They, they look out for me. They've gotten to know me. I've gotten to know them. Right. And that's just been fantastic. That's the quality of life thing I was looking for. Yeah, Ellensburg's a great little... Well, it's not li- as little as it used to be, and it's going to sounds like it's going to be a lot bigger. But that's uh, I I like yeah, I loved Ellensburg. Yeah, your how? Let's see. I don't so like I warned you. You know these are never scripted, so I always have to like you know that's all right. Pu- push the clutch in, shift a gear. Well, let's talk about you're you're doing a podcast now. You've just started. Just started. And uh, Lenny Wilkins, yes. George Raveling, yeah, Ruben Mays, yep. Wow. You're you you've got some you got some great connections. Well, why why did you start podcasting? You know, of course over my career I've done hundreds if not thousands of interviews. Right. And, uh, so I'm very accustomed to interviewing, being interviewed. I've hosted radio shows in the past, especially down in Dallas. Okay. Um and so I was very familiar with it. I, I always wanted to kind of get into it, but I wasn't quite sure how to go about it. And so uh, I looked at all the podcast platforms that are out there now. They take a while to build them up and monetize them to some extent and all that. But so one show I do uh, every two weeks out of Cleveland, Ohio, is a show with Peter Ray. And it's uh, the history of sports. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm on there every two weeks for the last... For all six months I've been here. Okay. Uh, I'll be on there tomorrow night, matter of fact. And we talk sports. We talk life. We talk a lot about my mental health work in my book that I published last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the audience just loves it. I mean, uh, we tell them, hey, you can go Google all the stats about the Super Bowl yesterday. But let's talk about what makes the person and okay. what really is important in life. And that show has really taken off very well. The producer of that show and I started talking. I said, you know, I've always wanted to do a show like what Peter's doing. And can you help me put something together? And he he signed me up right away. He's like, James, this would be great. So, so I have the same producer okay. who produces that show. And that's that's how that came about. Uh, we hope to get it to a point once we build the listening audience to a significant part to take it and monetize it uh, with corporate sponsors, maybe take it national. Okay. Uh, so it's a little bit different show. It's it's sports and life and a whole bunch more. <laughs> What's your uh, guest roadmap? Who who at the time that we're recording this is the day after the Super Bowl, which I didn't even ask you if you watched yet, but that's okay. We'll <laughs> probably touch on that. But who's your next guest going to be on your podcast at the time that you and I are recording this today? Well, you know, I'm looking at trying to get an Olympic athlete on board since the Olymp- the Winter Olympics are wrapping up uh, next weekend. Okay. And I'd like to get somebody. So I've got a couple of folks in mind. Uh, one who's an IOC board member and a former Olympic champion way back in the day. Okay. Uh, another is a um, is a, uh, a a basketball player who played in the the, the Olympics uh, maybe f- twenty years ago, sixteen years ago. Okay. So the summer Olympics, of course. So right. get their experiences. Um, and that's why I had Ruben Mays on, uh, on Saturday because I wanted an NFL player who could talk about the Super Bowl and his. Right. So to get somebody there to talk about the Olympics would be fantastic. Yep. Uh, my fallback is to reach out to, uh, Major League Baseball and okay. get their managers on board and talk about 
you know, they're still being locked out right now. And yeah. we'll see if they will open up in time for spring training. But I think I so. we'll have a whole slew of guests that are different. That's exciting. Different sports, men and women, collegiate, uh, professional, uh, coaches, general managers, uh, referees. Uh, you know, we just want to mix it up and really have fun with it. That's exciting. I, I'll keep listening. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been able to listen to the episode with Ruben Mays yet, so I've got to, I got that's on my list of things I got to do. Um, well, let's talk. So when you, when you retired from professional sports, you opened up a business in Seattle that you ran for what, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And then um, you're, you're currently running a, a nonprofit foundation. Yes. And I have to switch my tab here. Um, so it's your, your gift to life, your gift, excuse me, your gift of life foundation. Mike's Mike's apologies. Can you share with us how this came about? Well, um, you know, life being what life is, uh, sometimes it throws you a, a curveball or one's right down the middle. You can't, you can't even get the bat off your shoulder. Uh, Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing, but yes. <laughs> but it, it's happening to way too many people now during our pandemic shutdowns and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're being faced with a lot of adversity that they're just not used to. I, I had the same similar kind of thing happen to me back in 2015. Um, an unexpected emergency open heart surgery that saved my life. I would have lost my life if I didn't have the surgery right then and there. Okay. Uh, this was 2015. I had an aortic dissection, which I don't know if you know about those, but I, what is that? I mean, I have an idea, but I'll ask you just. Well, to... it starts out as an aortic uh, aneurysm, which is a swelling of the blood vessels. Right. Dissection is when the tissues in the blood vessels start separating and blood flows in between the tissues, making it very, very uh, uh, vulnerable to bursting. And of course, if it does burst, especially on the aorta, uh, you've got maybe 10 or 15 heartbeats left and that's it. You won't even even make it to the front door. Uh, So I came down with this uh, symptom and uh, I wasn't quite sure what was wrong with me. Uh, but I knew I wasn't feeling good. I was trying to play around the golf with some friends of mine. And I told them, I said, Hey guys, I just don't feel it today. My back's killing me. I'm, I'm sweating profusely. You know, I'm feeling nauseous. I'm going to go see my doctor. Okay. So I, I left the golf game. Uh, we didn't, even, we didn't even get off the first green or first hole. I left the golf game and I just said, okay, let me go see my doctor. Uh, I drove, 15 minutes or so to the doctor's office. And I remember, vaguely remember, uh, making it to the office and seeing the reception counter in the office. And then everything just went black. Uh, They tell me I fell out right there in the office uh, after making it there. And a quick scan diagnosis revealed there was definitely something seriously wrong with my heart. Uh, They threw me in the ambulance and... uh, Right there on the spot, 12 hours, uh, emergency, open heart surgery, and I woke up two weeks later. So that's all I remember. <laughs> so, And then, of course, in intensive care for three months. Uh, what hospital did you end up, did they end up taking you to? I was at Cherry Hill uh, in Swedish, Swedish Hospital, Cherry Hill. Okay, okay. Uh, and, you know, it was touch and go, uh, medically induced coma for five or six days to keep the blood 
the blood temperature low, so you reduce the brain swelling and all these other things that go on. Um, mm. You know, it just came totally out of the blue. I had no idea I had any kind of heart issues at all. And um, <clears throat> so that began, that began the beginning of my downward spiral into, okay. uh, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations. Uh, that was 215, 216. I had another surgery, kind of a follow-up uh, part two. Okay. Another couple months in intensive care. So these are not, that was a major follow. I mean, that's just not like a little tune up. You, you, you went, you underwent a, another major surgery. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was another major one scheduled, scheduled, but emergency one, but it was scheduled to be done and had to be done. Okay. Uh, I actually ended up with four major surgeries in five years. Um, but then during that time, life events really started happening negative, uh, negatively. Uh, you know, my, my wife, of uh, five years, uh, just picked up and walked out on the marriage. Uh, she took her boy with her, her son, my stepson, and they just disappeared without a note, without a phone call, without a text message, nothing. Uh, so here, this is 2016. Okay. Um, my mother passed away. Uh, my business that I had run for 28 years totally started getting financially unstable uh, I poured all of my NBA life savings into my business, trying to save it. So it just totally emptied out all my accounts and said, hey, I'm trying to save this thing. Uh, banks were not in the business of banking small businesses still. Uh, so we didn't qualify for bank loans. And, um, you know, it's just one thing after another. And it just... Uh, it became a really, really dark place by 2008, uh, 2018 uh, was the darkest 12 months of my life. And, um, you know, I finally got to a point where I said, well, I need some help. I can't sleep through the night. Uh, went to see my family doctor, told him my whole story, what's going on. Uh, he said, wow, James, you really are you've got the big three, you know, anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideations. Um, we got to get you some help. And he did. He, he helped me with prescription medications, with behavioral health counselors. I pulled together a small group of uh, close, intimate friends around me who had known me for 30, 40 years, uh, including, uh, you know, George Raveling and Lenny Wilkins, uh, coach, okay. my old coaches even. Wow. Um, and so they were all instrumental in helping me through this very difficult time. Um, you know, I think the, the catalyst, what really shook me and made me determined to make it through no matter what was, uh, the suicide of Tyler Helinski, the Washington state quarterback back in January, 2018. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when he took his life and everybody's out there trying to tell his story, how great a kid he was, how much he had to live for, how much, you know, wonderful he was. But he wasn't around to answer and to give any answers. And I just said, well, I, I can't let that happen to me. I'm going to make sure I make it through this thing and be able to tell my story. Okay. You know, and that's that's really what uh, it was still another 10 months of total darkness. And uh, that was January when he took his life. And here it, it wasn't until the holidays of 2018 that the the darkness started lifting a little bit. And I can start seeing that there was a tomorrow, there was a future. Um, I regained a purpose for being here, a purpose for living. 
Uh, I'd lost my home during that time, home I'd lived in for 40 years. Uh, I went through bankruptcy. I went through a foreclosure and a short sale of my home, all of those things. Um, and so it's just like one life thing after another. And I tell people, I remind them, I say, you know, we all are going to go through difficult times in life. Um, and we can usually handle one, you know, devastating blow at a time. Uh, maybe every few years, you know, we all expect at some point to lose our parents, of course, as we get older. We don't expect to lose our kids. And that's a huge, devastating blow. Yes. Uh, we probably are going to go through a divorce, 50 percent divorce rates. Uh, you know, a lot of times that's devastating. Mm -hmm. There's health issues that come along, cancer and surgeries and all these other things. So we're all going to go through something. Uh, I went through, I just happened to go through about a half a dozen of them in, in about a year or two years span. And it got to be almost, almost too much, Scott. But you, you had the presence of mind to build a team, if you will, yes. around you, you know, you, you, and that, you know. Well, you know, it's the only way I know how to operate is by, by a team, um, I had a great medical team. My cardiac surgeon, my cardiologist now are still in my lives. Uh, my family doctor. I mean, all these guys really pulled together to make sure I made it through this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the team of, uh, you know, Lenny, Lenny Wilkins and George Ravley and a couple other longtime business friends who had lost everything at one point and then regained it. You know, but their stories didn't really help me out. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, but, but it's nice to know that you're not the only one. And that's how you feel when you go through these very difficult times. And, and so out of that, I, I finally realized that, yeah, there is there's still a reason to be here. God kept me here for a reason. Um, and that is to be that voice and that advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Uh, letting people know that, hey, a big, strong guy like me on top of the world uh, it happened to me. It can happen to anybody. But mm -hmm. the, the key is I made it through and you can make it through, too. So help help us here. Tell us about more about your foundation. What what is how how are you guys doing outreach? What's how how can people um, find out more and all of that? And why don't yeah. you share that with me? Yeah. Well, we just submitted our paperwork to be a uh, 501c tax exempt corporation. Are you sure that didn't add stress to your life? That's a simple process. Well, no, I had I had an <laughs> friend who actually said, James, I like what you're doing. I'm glad you made it. I'm going to pay your filing fee of 600 okay. bucks, uh, which money's been really tight ever since all I went through all this stuff. So I didn't sure. 600 bucks to just throw into this thing. But he, he said he'd take care of it for me, and that was great. So okay. filed now with the federal government as a 501c3. Um the reason I, I created it, I wanted to have a platform that I could do speaking engagements from all around the country, speaking mm -hmm. to our students and student athletes, especially uh, to corporations and businesses, uh, whatever organization, about mental health. And mm -hmm. uh, these times now, you know, that we're all going through the last couple of years, suicide rates are off the charts, uh, you know, overdoses are off the charts, domestic violence, substance abuse, child abuse, everything is just totally off the charts. And there's not enough mental health professionals to help everybody. Okay. 
you sign up now for an appointment, you're you're in line for three or four months before you can get in to see anybody. Yeah. Uh, and so hopefully that gets better. Uh, I'm in the process now of, of getting my behavior health uh, counseling certification. Okay. So I can make myself available. And I've been making it making myself available unofficially mm-hmm. uh, and unprofessionally, but more coaching than counseling. But once I get a certification, I can do it more professionally and more in a consulting way um, to just talk to people, especially our young generation of students, and even more especially for men. Men are just notorious for not reaching out for help, uh, not saying, not admitting that there's a problem, uh, that they need help. They're going to try to, you know, shoulder through it alone all by themselves and tough it out and you know, it comes from our upbringing of, you know, little boys don't cry and men don't cry. And uh, right. people see me crying all the time, uh, telling my story and out there. Um, so I want I want to help men. I want to help our young generation of students. And those are my two focus points, which the foundation can help me do. And, of course, uh, be able to raise monies to uh, to scholarship students of color, especially going into the mental health professions. Okay. Uh, we have such a dearth of, uh, of mental health professionals of color. Uh, of the tens of thousands of mental health professionals in the country, only one or two percent are of color. And this is why so many communities wow. of color are so reluctant and shy to talk about mental health. There's nobody sitting across the table that looks like them that they can relate to, that can relate to them. And so that's what I want my foundation to do, be able to provide scholarship, full ride scholarships to students of color who are going into the mental health profession. And I'm talking about, you know, your African-American, your Hispanic, your Asian-American, your LGBTQ communities, uh, whatever community you are from, we need to get a better representation into the mental health professional field. I had no idea that the percentage was that low. Oh. I didn't expect it to be very high, but not that, that number is drastically lower than I kind the of. Two, the two behavior health counselors I had were, were white women, Caucasian women who had no way, uh, one gender wise, you know, a, a woman sure. trying to understand a man going through this stuff and the other culturally wise, they had absolutely no idea what to do with me or uh, how to help me other than, you know, give me, uh, soothing relaxation techniques or go home and count some sheep at night to get to sleep. I'm like, no, that's, that's not what I need. I need somebody who can really help me dig through this stuff. So how did you find that then? Was that the, the team you built, put around you that pr- yeah. was able to provide that or? Yes. It was, it was more, more so the team that was helpful than the, than the behavior health counselors at the time. And mm-hmm. I know there's tons and tons of great behavior health counselors out there. I know. I was just assigned to these two that I worked with Mm -hmm. and it didn't, didn't seem to work out too well, but I had another team of my support group Um, and being a guy and being a guy in professional sports and competitive sports, I needed more like a game plan. Okay. We're going to draw this play up. Right. You you know, give you the ball and you're going to run the ball, James, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing and thinking that I needed. And that's what, that's what George Raveling and Lenny Wilkins brought to the table. They, they mm-hmm. reminded me that they knew me way back in high school when they recruited me to WSU. Okay. 
they knew me as a young man. They, George Ravling told me, hey, James, I, I've been with you. You've put 40 years of hard work into making you what you are. And I'm not going to let you throw it away now. Wow. That's, that's what a wonderful human being to, yeah. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's wonderful. I, I wasn't going to, wasn't going to let him down. Therefore, was it going to let the coach down? Is that, I mean, you're, yeah. you know, you're, wow. Yeah. So I'll come back to that. I, I can't, you've written a book. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just, so how I connected with you is we're both on LinkedIn and I see a lot of your content on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you publish a lot of stuff on LinkedIn that I see. Yes. Um, but I'm looking here on your, on your website and I'm not even going to begin to start, but the number of groups and associations that you're affiliated with is um, longer than my arm is here. It's, it's, it's staggering how many groups you're involved with. But Scott, that's over the years. I'm not. Uh, oh yeah. But still that's a staggering amount of, yeah. of groups that you've been involved with or are involved with. Well, you know, just last week I was appointed to the Kitty Tass County board of health board. <sighs> And so here's yet, an, but this is right up my alley. This is a so what will what will your what will you be doing with that position? Well, as a board of health member, I mean we are in charge of all the things in regards to public health in the county. Okay. Uh, so it could be uh, water quality, uh, sewage, septic tanks, uh, livestock that's uh, you know might have might be decaying and huge numbers on somebody's property and going into the water table. Uh, you know, people who hoard, you know, there might be a person who's got 40 or 50 cats in their house. Uh, so all these things that we, that regard public health, uh, we will be involved with directly and indirectly. And I'm okay. really, really looking forward to this. Of course, I bring the mental health piece aspect to it, which is another right. big part of what they do. But Mm -hmm. I've connected with all the mental health agencies in Ellensburg as well. And uh, so I'm very well connected and networked with all these things. But that's my latest assignment just last week. Latest assignment. But wait, there's more. My gosh. So I want to ask you, because I'm reading this. And so what is the Washington State University Gray W Club? Yeah, yes, yes. Well, that's our our, kind of our special group for... Uh, for for WSU athletes who've come through, who've matriculated through WSU, okay, and it really gives us kind of a platform. It's it's different than the alumni group, which is all students and everybody else. Okay, uh, this is more so geared only for sports figures. Okay, um, it's not running at a real high level right now. It needs to get back up there. Um, it's it's kind of geared off, you know, our 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 arch rival, state rival, uh, UW, has the great uh, has the Big W Club. And okay, of course, okay. It's very well funded. Okay, ours is not, and so uh, I've been involved with uh, Great W for quite a while, okay. uh, but I think there's so much more we can do with it than we've been doing over the last few years. So I'll, I'll be part of that as well. That's exciting. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you a WSU sports question. Okay. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you pick. <laughs> Greatest WSU quarterback. Wow. That's a good question. You know, one of my best friends is, uh, is the throne Samoan Jack Thompson. Of course. 
Right. Uh, but the greatest WSU quarterback, wow. I, I'd, I'm torn between Mark Ripien and Drew Bledsoe. I, I don't know which had the better statistical-wise collegiate uh, career. Right. Those two guys went on to the professional ranks and, and made a big, big mark there as well. Right. Uh, right. So if you allow me to have two, I'll now I'm going to make, no, no, that's uh, it's okay. I can't put you on the spot like that, but you, that's right. You, yeah. The, the Jack Thompson was, he was an amazing quarterback. Yes. Yes. And still a dear friend. He, he, what is he do? What is he doing these days? Uh, he started up his own mortgage company, Cherry, okay. Cherry Creek Mortgage. Okay. He's got a uh, half dozen branches all over the state and that's what okay. he's been doing the last several years. Okay. Uh, he was one of my go-to guys as well, uh, okay. along with Lenny and George uh, and Jack. And, um, you know, and he, he's just been a great friend. I've known – we were the same year at WSU, both graduated in 79. Okay. He was big man on campus for football, and I was big man on campus for basketball. And we've, we've remained friends throughout. Any Was there any collegiate rivalry between the two? I, what I don't remember is – help me out here – how was WSU's 1979 football team and their 1979 basketball team? How how good were you guys? You know, it's a good question. I uh, I don't know exactly what their record was. I, I know they were competitive and they were good. I don't think mm-hmm. they went to a bowl game back then, but okay, you know, um, but they had great players. I remember so many of them and. You know, but football and basketball, we, we're kind of two separate worlds on the college campus. I mean, you've got football yes. season, and now now it's basketball season going on. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. football is the big uh, the big high profile sport on just about any campus, unless you're yeah. unless you're Gonzaga. Gonzaga or Duke or North Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but typically it's the football team that gets all the headlines. Yeah, days in the news a lot more than basketball does until the final four rolls around, of course. Yeah, and that's that March Madness is it's crazy to yeah. watch. Um, so, do you always put you on the spot? Do you always root for the Cougars? Are you always a Cougar? Or do you ever do you ever go and you know find yourself rooting for that that other uh, team? That, no, you know. no, no. You know when it's between the two teams, the Apple Cup, I'm always with the Cougars, of course. You're always uh, you know, okay. go Cougs. So once a Coug, always a Coug. You know, we got all these sayings that happen with us every time we see each other. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, I, strangely and oddly enough, I'm not a huge sports fan. I mean, I watch enough to, okay. to have a basic conversation about it. But I, right. I don't – even yesterday with the Super Bowl, I, I didn't sit down and watch the game. I still haven't seen the game. I've seen some highlights, so I know who won. Yeah. Right. I just, I just have always been that way. I've never been much of a spectator. I've been a lot more of a participant. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned earlier in our conversation um, the day that you were, you, you went to the doctor. Yes. You were playing golf. Are you, are you an, are you an avid golfer? Do you still golf or? Yes, I still do and still can and and golf pretty well okay. uh, for the most part. Okay. Uh, I've only played it for the last 10 years or so, so I haven't played that long, but, uh, kind of almost natural to pick up a golf club and to, you know, hit the ball and to put it out there and do all the things I need to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and as big and strong as I am, you know, to be able to have some, a nice, you know, deft touch around the greens and 
Okay. So, you know, I mean, I'm not great, great. I'm usually in the 80s probably. But Well, that's, that, that's okay. So, you you know, there's, there's the professional athlete in you. I'm not that great. In the 80s, most of us would, you know, be thrilled to shoot in the 80s. And you're like, oh, you know, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of my friends shoot, you know, at 100 or over 100. I'm like, why can't you do better than that? <laughs> Yeah, see, you, you don't, you just don't understand because you, you've got athletic ability. <laughs> I guess so. I don't. You just where uh, around Washington? Where have you, where have you golfed that you've found to be a an enjoyable experience? Well, you know, I, I love all courses. I mean, even the challenging ones. I, I played, uh, I played Chambers Bay when it first opened down there in Tacoma. Uh, yeah. I played Sancadia. I played just about every course in the Seattle area. The public courses, private courses. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, I'll, I'll play anywhere. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I just, have you played the Ellensburg golf course yet? No, but I was out there before, before it closed down because of the, of the winter met, right. met a lot of the golfers out there. They're all excited about me coming out and playing soon. So, uh, okay. starting in March, we'll get out there and start smoke playing. Yeah. All right. Okay. You've got, um, what's the one up in. There's one north of up in Brewster that's supposed to be so darn good, and I can't uh-huh. think of the name of it. Okay. Um, there's a uh, so you know, hundred and some miles from you north north of in Brewster, yeah, yeah. and it, a beautiful golf course. I mean, it's absolutely the photographs I've seen of it are just it's a stunning yes. course, and it's challenging. Well, and of course, I get invited to a lot of the uh, celebrity golf tournaments and things, so okay. I usually don't turn those down if they're you know not. <laughs> Not too far away. I won't go five or six hours to drive, but you know, a couple okay. hours. Within a couple hours, I can play pretty much anywhere. Yeah, well, you've got you've got some options. You can go down to Yakima. There's the the course with the apple shaped mm-hmm. green. Mm-hmm. You know, all that. There's yes, lots of things. I'll be like playing. That. I'll be getting out, getting out there in March. Okay. So you've only been in Ellensburg six months. Yes. And I, I ask this question of all of my guests. Do you drink coffee? Are you a coffee fan? Not, not a huge one. I, I oh, really? morning with breakfast oh, and that's, that's all I okay. do. I always ask people, where's a great place to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, so I was going to put you on the spot where, so what have you found in Ellensburg that you've enjoyed in the, in the town? What have you, you know, as you've gotten out and about, I mean, I understand with, with COVID it were a little more restricted, yeah. but what about Ellensburg have you been able to get out and experience and explore that you've you've found to be kind of like, hey, this is kind of neat here? The people. I mean, I'm a real people person. And um, the people have just been so genuine, so so uh, open, uh, so inviting to get to know them. And, of course, they're they wanting to get to know me. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's all good with me. And so... Um, you know, I, I'm not one to have to go out and try out every restaurant or, you know, I'm a non-drinker, so I don't okay. try out any of the wine bars and things. But, but okay. I, I've been to them to just to hang out with friends and people there. Sure. That's fine. Um, right. But, you know, I mean, my life has taken me all over the world uh, with oh, <sighs> great restaurants and great accommodations. So that's usually not on my list of things to do to have to go and try every one of them out. Okay. All right. What's the future going to hold for you? What What do you, so we, 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 you know, we've talked about your foundation just a little bit, but let's try to like just envision a couple years from now. What, what would you say would be, 
success isn't maybe the right word I'm looking for, but let's, let's say I call you back up in two years ago. Hey, James, how are you? How you've been since we talked last, how are things? And you go, they've been great. And here's why, what, what would that be for you? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to getting married again. And, you know, I've gone through (laughs) several girlfriends over the last few years, but okay, uh, trying to make, make sure one of them sticks and that'd be anyone special at this moment. Uh, I mean, it is Valentine's Day when we're recording this, so we've got it. Not that it'll go out live today, but you know, folks. <laughs> no, I don't have a Valentine's here right here with me today. Uh, okay. I've got someone I'm working on long distance, and that's not my preference. Uh, okay. So they they kind of fizzle out as often as they, uh, even more often than okay. they are successful. But I got okay. a long distance thing going and trying to keep that going, but. So yeah, to, to to get married again, to have a family life. I um I never did have any children myself, so I don't have kids and grandkids and all those things. But uh, just to you know find a wonderful life, you know soulmate, lifelong partner. Um, okay. I'm still I still love working. I still love being involved. And uh, as you see with my latest board assignment, and uh, I'll be yeah. writing more books. I got another book in me. I think in next year or two. Okay. Um, and then traveling the country and really getting a chance to get in front of our kids and young people uh, and just encouraging them, no matter what, to hang in there and things will get better. Uh, it's limited right now as much as I can do because of COVID restrictions and things. But now mm-hmm. that things are starting to roll back a little bit, <clears throat> maybe March and April during the springtime, I can get out there before the school year finishes up. Right. That would be great. I think... I, my observations of, of things is that kids are, I think maybe, well, I'm not the right person to have an opinion here, but I do. I have one. I think kids, youth are being, it's been, it has to be very hard on them. To, they're not equipped with the skills to navigate um, what we've had to go yeah. through as a society and as, as, as a, as a species because of COVID. And I think watching, I think it's, we need to pay close attention to kids right now and help them navigate back into quote unquote normal, whatever, whatever normal may be moving forward. But, you know, they've missed school. They've, they've had to sit, you know, and do zoom school and, and now they're back in, in the, some of them are, you know, back in the classrooms, but they're, you know, all of these things. And I don't, I, I watched, I've watched my, my grandkids um, struggle in some mm. ways, even more than, it, you know, a kid might normally sure. struggle, you know, cause be, let's be honest, being a kid's yeah. hard and being a teenager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, there's a reason you only go through yeah. it once. Right. And, and so I, I really hope that you're able to, go out and be able to be a voice of, and of support and hope. Well, that's that's exciting. And before the pandemic shutdowns, I was going to several schools talking and sharing with the kids, uh, you know, out here to central Washington, to uh, Leavenworth, Wenatchee, all over Seattle, Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And you know, invariably, I'd be in front of I'd be in front of a assembly of middle school age kids. Uh, you know, and these are your you know thirteen to fourteen, fifteen year olds, and mm-hmm. 
there might be four or 500 kids in the audience um, back then. And speaking with them and telling my story, I mean, they could all, they all knew that I, I had been there and I knew mm -hmm. what I was talking about. Um, right. But invariably after every assembly, there's always four or five kids who would come up and, you know, individually take me aside just to talk one-on-one -on -one with them. And they would share with me that they're suicidal right now. And they don't know how they're going to make it through the night. They don't want to come to school anymore. They don't want to go home. They're really, and this was two years ago, before the pandemic. Uh, okay. And I, you know, do my best to inform the principal or the teacher to keep an eye on this particular kid because they're really struggling. Uh, they didn't have anyone to talk to. And so that's, that's what's out there. And, mm -hmm. you know, suicide... And, and these ideations are still things that people don't don't want to talk about, but they're still going on inside of so many of our young people and, and even our older people. But the young people really are my focus because they don't have the life skills to understand that this is temporary. You know, you, you make right. it through, things will ease out again, even out again, and you'll be back on top of your game. They don't know that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know that, you know that, but they don't know that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, well, my wrap up question and my get out of jail free <laughs> card, I say this every episode is what didn't we talk about that we should have talked about? What didn't I well, ask you? This is your chance. Uh, as a published author, I'd like to promote my book a little please. bit. <laughs> okay, and, and I, you, Okay, you got me. Yes, please. Let's talk I, about your book. I don't have a, a copy of it in front of me, but it's called Celebrating Your Gift of Life. Uh, the subtitle okay. is From the Verge of Suicide to a Life of Purpose and Joy, which is where I am at now. Uh, it chronicles, you know, those four major surgeries in five years, all those other life events that really took me down and how I was able to finally work my way back up and, and, and back to a big, solid place again. Um, at the end of every chapter, there's exercises that I ask the reader to, to do, uh, kind of introspective and self-evaluation stuff. Um, okay. So the book is, uh, I, I self-published it as I did with my other book, but self-published okay. it, but it is, it is available online everywhere, just like any other book. But if you want a okay. personally autographed, personally signed copy, uh, the best place to get it is through my website. Because that order comes to me, I fulfill it, I sign off on it, drop it in the mail for you. Uh, that is okay. at celebratingyourgiftoflife.com. And, okay. and I'll put that in the show notes for people please to click do. on. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be yeah, more absolutely. than happy. Uh, and then I'm gearing up now to, to make myself available to talk one or two hours a day to people who need to talk to somebody who's been there. Uh, Okay. You know, and a nominal fee. I don't need to charge anything for it, but I do want just to make sure that the time is valued for both of us, especially okay. men. I want men to reach out and say, hey, James, I'm struggling. I worked with three men during the holidays this past couple months. They were all three on the verge of suicide and taking their lives and talking with them and working with them and giving them hope and encouragement. They're all hanging in there. One is one is struggling a little bit more than the other two, but that's where they were this this past holiday season. <clears throat> and holidays are always a very difficult time for everyone. 
So that's yes. the work I do. That's the book that I wrote. And I would love to get a copy of the book into the hands of our listeners today. All right. Let me ask you, um, if you're going to be making time available. Yes. Where, how can people find out about that when that goes? Yes, effect? I'll be putting that on my uh, yourgiftoflife.org foundation. Um, okay. So it'll be on that website. There'll be a calendar that they can schedule and they can pay okay. uh, through that site. And so that look for that to start up in March. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to uh, wrap this up and respect your time. I, I, to talk to a Seattle supersonic is, is a huge honor for me. I, I appreciate it so much. And I, your story, your journey has been um, uplifting to me at the same time, you know, not, not a, it's a, it's a, you went through a lot and, you know, and you know that, but I, I appreciate you making the time to, to talk with us today. And, um, I welcome you to Central Washington. I mean, welcome to welcome to the good part. All, all states great, but I, I love living in Central Washington, and uh, I, I'm I'm we will keep an eye on what you're doing, and if we can ever help you, don't don't hesitate to Thanks reach so out. Thanks so much, Scott. Where where are you located at, by the way? We're you're in Wenatchee. Yeah, and I get to Wenatchee yeah, every now and then. Yeah. I got a good friend there. Just contacted me last week about coming down for lunch, so I'll do that in the next yeah. week or two. But I would love to catch up with you in person. It'd be wonderful. I would, I would, I welcome that opportunity. If you're coming to town or if I head to Ellensburg, let's, I would love to, to uh, shake your hand. And let's in do person. it. Yeah. This is All right. I really appreciate the time. Thank All you, right. Sir. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.